And uh, with that, the Josh Chen kids will be going out. Right. Roland, if you want to just come up quickly. Okay. I have some time to use while the children get out there with their moms and dads and then parents get back. Um, yeah, let me just say a few things about Andrew and MC. <laughs> uh, I always say, they're waiting, they know. I always say that I have the best support elders that Josh Jen can have as a lead elder. But I actually want to change that today. I want to say that Andrew actually has one of the best support elders, talking of myself. <laughs> But uh, it's wonderful to have Andrew with us this morning, and MC. He wouldn't have made it if she didn't wake him up. I know Andrew's awake at 4 o'clock. Just a small little story. Once when I was still leading the church up in Benoni, and I was up at about 4 o'clock, and I was on Facebook. I wasn't praying. And there I see Andrew's typing. So I said, hey, come have some coffee. He said, no, I'm still under the blanket. <laughs> But yeah, Andrew, Andrew's a friend of mine, also someone that I look up to as a, a leader in Josh Jen, as the guy that actually leads Josh Jen. There's 42 or three congregations now, and so Andrew actually leads a whole bunch of people, and uh, it's a delight to have him with us today. Andrew and I met each other, I was trying to work it out about 20 years ago now. Uh, we went on... Uh, team training with uh, Dudley Daniels and uh, Andrew and I were there. And I can honestly say that the person that has the loudest laugh that I know is Andrew. He laughs like you cannot believe it. And I enjoy it because it makes you, it lifts you up. But yeah, Andrew heads up 412, uh, the apostolic team that we are, we relate into. And uh, I want you guys to open your hearts this morning. There's something special on Andrew's life, and he has it to deposit in our lives this morning. And so, Andrew, I wonder if you'd come. Ems, I wonder if you could stand up and just let them see what a beautiful wife he's got. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. That was awesome worship, eh? Thank you so much for the guys leading us. I got a whole preach in worship that I'm almost tempted to preach. But uh, yeah, I'll stick to what I've got. But uh, it is awesome to be with you guys and just to feel that sense of community and family amongst you, seeing what the Lord Jesus is doing. And uh, Ems just came up to me and said, I love these people. So uh, you won our hearts too. And uh, yeah, we're just so stoked to be with you guys. Uh, I'm going to stick with my notes. I actually do have a new preach, about, but I'm not going to preach it. I'm just figuring I'm going to stick with Hey, next week, yeah, I'll prepare it properly and do it. Uh, I'll, I'll rework my, my rough notes that I made in worship. But um, yeah, I mean, we're living in crazy times, huh? The world went mad somewhere in the last 
you know, decade or so. And um, sometimes it feels like I, I can't keep up. And I don't know what's left and right, up or down, good or bad. It's like the world went bananas. And, um, and I'm stuck in it until Jesus returns. And so are you. And so I, I want to talk about something that I've, uh, on Mother's Day a few mornings ago, what was it, about a month ago, I woke up. And I had something else prepared, and the Lord woke me up early, and I got to preach on moms. And I feel like I actually can't shake that preach. It's something that I'm traveling around the congregations in, because I think there's a huge attack upon everything that God has made. And one of those things is womanhood and, and moms. And I think we can, well, I believe, and I'm hoping you'll see this this morning, we can learn a lot about God from moms, from women. And I want us to look at that together this morning. So we're going to be mostly for the ladies this morning. But I think as men, sometimes actually we, yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes as men, we actually learn about God. We can actually learn a lot about God through ladies. And so as we're learning about women and what it is to be women, we actually learn about God. And we'll look at that now in a bit of influence. But let me start with, um, so my, the title of Breach is Moms Teach Us About God. And, and I, 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 when I say moms, I want to say, Actually, women teach us about God, not just moms. I'm going to drill into moms. But um, to some degree, every lady at some point, if she lives long enough, will be a mom of sorts. Even if you're not physically given children, some adopt, some are kept as eunuchs for the kingdom. But even they become moms in the community of faith and have a role to play as women within the church of Jesus Christ. So just a backdrop. And again, I mentioned the world's gone mad. Uh, but the Bible tells us, as you look at the end times, and I think we all pretty much sense with everything going on, like we are running very quickly towards the day that we're going to hear a trumpet sound and Jesus returning to take us to be with him. And, and those days are, are, I mean, you almost wonder if, if the pre-trib rapture, for those of you that have been around for a while, is true, it could happen any moment. Um, I probably think it's not true. I think we're going to go through tribulation. But I think we're entering into that in many countries. In fact, in, uh, I've got it on my Bible. I don't have it here. Uh, and this was about, I probably got that cover about eight years ago. How many countries? Is, can you remember it on my Bible? It's 52 countries, I think. In 52 countries, this book is illegal. Something like that. And that was like 10 years ago. In 52 countries, this book is illegal. The Bible is illegal. They, they can kill you in some countries if they catch you with a Bible. And in others, you will spend the rest of your life locked away in prison. Um, and, that's, and that's increased radically in the last 10 years. And increasingly, what we believe is now perceived to be wrong and evil. Christians are now more and more seen to be the scum of the earth. In England, if you go for a job interview right now, one of the questions often that'll come up is, what is your faith? And if you're a Christian, there's a very good chance you won't get a job in the UK. Because you might put something on Facebook or somewhere else that's offensive some people group out there, and that would tie the company into you, the company would get penalized and, and, and potentially lose money or even close down. So Christians are now increasingly marginalized out of society because of our beliefs. And so it's kind of a rough time to be a believer, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a crazy time. And the Bible tells us that this world that we're in is going to increasingly rebel against God. It's like the culmination of sinfulness will come to its head in the world that we live in. And I think we're living in that time where it says, as in the times of Noah, when God judged the earth then, we are in those times. And the world is moving there quickly. But the Bible tells us that we're going to see ultimately a system that we'll look at it just now that'll emerge across the world. It'll affect the way people think, the way everything about us. 
And uh, it'll be, most of us who've been around for a while know it, the Bible says there'll be a mark that will distinguish this movement. And the mark is 666. Let's quickly look at that in the Bible. In, in Revelation 13, verse 18, the Bible tells us that the system's going to happen all over the world and we'll be forced to take a mark on our foreheads and on our wrists. I think a lot of people thought this was a COVID vaccine, um, but I think it's not. I think it's just a, uh, yeah, anyway. So Christians tend to butt and jump the gun sometimes. It was one area I think a lot of people did. But we do see the system coming, and it says this calls for wisdom, talking about this thing that's going to happen. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is a man's number. His number is 666. So the Bible says as you look at the end, it's gonna, you're going to need to keep your wits about you. You're going to need a bit of wisdom because the system is going to come across the earth. It's going to cause men to take a mark on their forehead or on their wrist. The mark will be 666. Um, and uh, a lot of people think, well, there's a microchip, and there might be. I don't know exactly whether there'll be a microchip or not. But I know this. The forehead speaks of your thinking, and the wrist speaks of your actions. That's Bible language. So what it means effectively is that the whole world will start to think a certain way, and because they think a certain way, the whole world will act a certain way. Taking the mark of the beast might or might not be a physical little thing that you put on your wrist to buy or sell, but it will mean that you'll be ultimately set apart because of your beliefs, because you don't think the way the world thinks, and you don't act the way the world acts. And then the Bible tells us that uh, the, the number of this, uh, of, the, of this 666, it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, many people don't know, but the, you know that everything in the Bible has a numerical value. Most things have numerical value. In other words, um, a number means something. And the number of man, take a guess what number it is, is six. Man was created on the sixth day. So you've got something to do with, and it actually, remember that scripture says the number is 600, it is the number of man. So what you've got is, you've, what does that mean? And let's dig into this, this little bit of wisdom. You've got the system that'll emerge rooted in something of man, and there's three sixes, six, six, six. Now three also has a numerical value, and the number three means wholeness or completeness. God is a trinity. Three that's three in one. And, and somehow we don't even fully understand how that works. Three is a number of completeness and wholeness within themselves. So if you've got six, three sixes, what you effectively then have is a system that it touches every aspect of society. Okay. That will touch the way people think, act, live, government, everything rooted in man. To give you an idea of how complete it'll be, in Revelation 4 verse 8, we actually see, could you put that Revelation 4 verse 8, we actually see the angels in heaven singing about God, and we're talking about the number three there, and it says each of the four living creatures, this is in heaven, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Three holies. What does that mean? God is completely and utterly holy within himself. In other words, he is the fullness of what it is to be good and right and worthy of being worshipped. So when they sing three times, holy, 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 effectively the angels are saying, you are the completeness of what it is to be right and good and holy. So when you've got man, 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 
man then rises up and he becomes the completeness of what it is to be fully human, to be fully man. And so what you've got is it's actually a bad thing now. This is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And it's actually rooted in the garden, in, 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 in man's sin, because it, it actually is man fully independent of God, creating a system that will touch everything within society. Everything in creation will be affected by man. And so man will become the center of it all instead of God. So in Genesis 3, 5, we see where this starts. And it says, um, this is right in the garden, right in the beginning of creation. And it tells us that... Um, when God made the earth, it was good, and then obviously Satan came into it and told man to disobey God, eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden. And man said, well, God said, I mustn't. If I eat of it, I'll die. And Satan said, no, you won't die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's some things that that number 666 will, will that's its root comes into the fullness of what it means. So it means that our eyes will be fully, fully opened, that we'll see for ourselves what's right and wrong. We won't need God to define morality anymore. We won't need God to define who we are or how we think. And we're seeing that in the world around us. I mean, for example, did you see that thing a while ago um, in, uh, in America, in, in one of their top government meetings, they were asked around this whole thing of women in sport and men who say they're women in sport. And it was a whole hoo-ha because now ladies are kind of don't really have a chance when it comes to most sports, when it comes to competing against a man who now says he's a woman, even though he's genetically a man. And so they asked the politician, what is the definition of a woman in Parliament? Obviously trying to make a point, and she said, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. In other words, whoa. Then there was jokes that went around the internet. There were people standing in rain, and the man looks at the woman and says, is this rain falling on us? And she says, I don't know, I'm not a, ge I'm not a geologist. It's like, it's like a, yeah, it's, it's, we're not a geologist. Um, ugh, what's the word for? Meteorologist, that's it. So here's the thing. Everything is now being redefined. And what is it to be a woman? What is it to be a man? How do we, we, we will decide. And no one can tell me what's true. No one can tell me other than what I believe is true. Okay. Does that make sense? How many of you are seeing that sweeping through our schools, sweeping through so much of what's happening in our world? That's just one aspect. Obviously, that's an easy one to pick on because it's very obvious to most Christians. Uh, but we'll be, the second thing, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God. In other words, you no longer have to remain beneath Him and His kingdom. You can live for yourself. You can live for your own glory. How many of you know that potential and uh, being all that you can be, find yourself. What is that? I will be like God. I want to be glorified. I want to be respected by my peers. I want people to honor me and to respect who I am. I want to be like God. And you see, the thing is, obviously, there's very extremes, but that thing creeps even into the church, where the church now no longer lives for the glory of God, but the church lives for us. I go to church because of what I get out of it. Because I'm actually like God, and I demand to be honored and revered and worshipped and respected. And so it, it starts to creep into the way we think, and it's a, it'll ultimately touch every aspect of the world. The Bible says that the whole world will be led astray by this. And the third thing there is knowing good and evil in Genesis. That you will have the definition, you'll define 
temporality. You'll define what's right and wrong, good or bad. You'll define how things should be. So what that means is effectively we will then no longer look to the Bible to define how things are, which shows us what God is like. We'll decide. Now for Christians, we're clever or horribly clever. So Christians, they do get swept up into the mark of the beast, 666, and start thinking that what the world does. They then have to go back to their Bibles because they know that this is the word of God. And actually, this is in conflict. That's why it's illegal in so many countries right now, and it's growing quickly. This is in conflict to society. This is in conflict to what is 666. So what you either do is you say, well, it's written by a bunch of shepherd boys. What do they know anyway? It's fallible. And then you redefine morality. Or you just twist the meaning of it. You dig into some one scripture, you change it, you question it, dig into another, and eventually you make the book say what it's not saying. It's not that hard to do. It's very easy. I remember once having an interview in the media and uh, actually, it was carte de blanche. They did a thing on us as a church. And we filmed it too, actually. And what they did, I noticed they kept asking me questions and questions, and then I wouldn't answer it. They'd ask it another way. When they put the video out, I watched me, and I thought I was a cult leader watching me. Because they'd simply changed the order of the questions. They changed and clipped my answers. They didn't let me say fully what I was saying. They would take one line. And so they made it look like I was saying things that I was not saying. And then when we took this to the press ombudsman, because we said this is actually immoral what they've done, that they didn't let, they, 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 they actually, they literally said me say the opposite of what I was trying to say sometimes. And uh, carte blanche just said, well, our lawyers are bigger than yours. Good luck. Let's have a go. So you start to realize, geez, like, wait, how do you find what's right and wrong? How do you find, <laughs> Okay. And people do that with the Bible too. They just dig into it and they twist it and they bend it and they make it say what it's not saying. And so we need to keep our wits about us. So ultimately 666 is man's full rebellion brought to fullness against God. I've got a friend in, in, in Cape Town, I surf, and one of my friends is called, I won't tell his name, but he, um, he's not saved, very unsaved. He actually hates Christians. Kind of likes me, but he hates Christians. So every now and again, I'll get into a debate with him, and I can spend like two hours, and he is following websites that are anti-Christian. And one of the websites, he posted this on Facebook, that picture that I gave you. He posted a picture on Facebook because he's, he's kind of now anti-Christian for some reason. And he, he, he posted this on his Facebook page. Is it ever right, and this is an example now of us redefining morality around it. Is it ever right to stone a bride to death because she's not a virgin? So that's a pretty, pretty profound thought. Is it ever right if a woman is about to get married and you find out she's pregnant, not with the, this guy, because if you look at the scripture, she's pregnant with somebody else and she's about to get married. And on her wedding day or just off, you find out she's pregnant already. Is it ever right to take that woman and to kill her? And so God thought it was. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 22. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town will stone her to death. Okay, that's pretty out there. That's like, whoa. So a girl's pregnant on her wedding day. Drag her, the men of the city, drag her to her father's house and stone her to death at his door, basically. And then at the bottom, the Bible Bronze Age baloney. Okay, so that's kind of smack. 
how can you Christians believe it? It's, a, it's a written by a bunch of, it's baloney. I mean, is that good? And he thought he'd kind of won the argument on Facebook. Why do you respond to that? So I responded. And I, I'll just read what I wrote to him on Facebook. The simple explanation is that God values human sexuality as a sacred and beautiful thing to be treasured and treated as holy, kept for one partner in marriage. This may seem strange to a generation who believe they can live as they want to without extreme consequences. But from my perspective, having lived as I wanted to without boundaries for many years and paying later with the destruction of my soul by my actions, I found that God was wise with his boundaries and I found genuine life once I began to live within them. This law, implying that sexual promiscuity while seeming fun and innocent, is actually extremely soul-destroying and damages humanity internally so badly that an extreme safeguard or law is given to protect human dignity and value. In other words, this actually protects human dignity and value when God gave it in the Old Testament to his people. It says that sex seems easy to give away, but sex is an incredibly holy thing. And when we join ourselves with another person in, se in a sexual act, there are massive, massive things that take place that we're not aware of. So in some ways, we don't think that it's dangerous if we do it wrong, but it's extremely dangerous if you do this wrong. And obviously, this concept will hit through into your LGBT trance, your genders, you know, what you believe. Uh, it'll, but interestingly, now it also starts to sweep into, because if God is wrong, what, who does define what a woman is? I was on the Isle of Man, which is in the UK, uh, a few months ago, and there was a government notice uh, in, in, in England, um, Medical, you don't have medical aid, you basically, government does everything. So you just get in a queue and at some point government will treat you. So there was a big billboard for women and it said, all people with a womb and women, please make sure that you have your appointment to have your pap smear. So all people with a womb and women. Okay, so because you have a womb doesn't mean you're a woman, and you could be a woman even if you don't have a woman. The implication being, well, I might think I'm a woman. And you might be a woman with a womb, but you might not be a woman. But, but you've got a womb, so, yeah. <laughs> the this is the world that we live in now. And it's actually, to be honest, I don't want to mock it, it's just broken man it's just man thinking he's finding his life but he's actually losing it and then the more dangerous thing than those because those are pretty obvious to most christians the more dangerous ones for us are the roles of men and women how do we function as man and how do we function together as women now one of the things that we starting to see is a lot of guys are writing about you know men and women and uh, is there a difference even even in the church is the husband really the head of his home? One of the largest churches in Cape Town uh, has been torn down the middle. Um, some churches, they're, they're multi-site like us. Some churches have actually walked away around this issue of the role of men and women. And so this is affecting charismatic Christians. I've, I know the guy, a guy that wrote a book well. I mean, he's a lovely guy, but he's written a book basically attacking the role of men and women. 
And a lot of Christians, even elders, have followed his doctrines and have now drifted away and torn churches and, uh, and believe something very different with what the Bible teaches. So it's right on our doorstep in our city, and it's coming fast and furious. What is man, what is woman, and is there a difference? Is this, is, am I still, are you still with me? So, and, and the problem is this. If God creates an order, remember God defines things, and God says, I made man, and then I made woman, and they have a different role. If we break out of those roles and believe the 666, the human side of this, we actually end up in rebellion to God. Do you know that you can be in rebellion to God by being in rebellion to your husband? Biblically. Did you know that you can be in rebellion to God by being in rebellion to your elders? The Bible says obey and submit to the authority. They keep so, so what happens is you get hurt or something happens and people pull away and then they start to believe a lie. And they start to protect themselves and then trying to find themselves, they end up losing themselves. Jesus said that. If you try and find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Okay. So in 1 Samuel 15, 23, listen to this. 1 Samuel, not that one, the one after that. For rebellion, what is rebellion? It's breaking out of the order of God. It's saying, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do it my way. Rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you. And he's writing it to the king. So rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Here's the deal. We have to get this stuff right. Because rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, divination, something that is forbidden. It breaks into the church. When we don't understand the ways of God and we allow the world to shape our thinking, we start to live wrong. In our, in our, and in living wrong, we can find ourselves in rebellion to God. So let's, from there, dig into moms and women. Let's look at where they came from quickly and, and some of the things we learn about God from them. So initially when God made the world, he made you know, six days, and then on the sixth day he made man. And uh, everything up until then God said when he'd made it, he said, it is good. He created the animals, it is good. He created the, the fields, it is good. He created the trees, it is good. And then he made man. And for the first time we see him saying something interesting. God makes man sees that man's on his own, he doesn't have a help meet, and so God says it is not good for man to be alone. So for the first time in creation, when God looks at it, creation is incomplete. There is something missing on the earth. You've got a man, Adam, and you don't have Eve yet. And God looks at his own work and he says it's not finished, it's incomplete, it's not good. It needs to be completed. And so in Genesis 2, 21 and 23, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of man. Okay, I'm sure he did say that when he saw her. Whoa, man, because she was stunning and a missing part in, in a sense. But I love this picture. The Lord God puts him to sleep, cut, opens his side, and the, this translation, the NIV says, took one of the man's ribs. It's an interesting word used. Some translations will say, took his side. 
because the translators aren't exactly sure what the word means. It's selah in the Greek, uh, sorry, in the Hebrew. And it, it can mean rib, but it doesn't always mean rib. To give an example, and this is not my own interpretation, this is the New American Standard Concordance of the Bible with Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek dictionaries. The definition is rib or side chamber or side room. Most commonly you'll find this, for example, the same word for rib here is in 1 Kings 6 verse 5. Solomon is building the temple of God. He builds the main hall, and then he builds some hall walls on the rooms on the side. And against the walls of the main hall and inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building in which there were side rooms. That word side room is tzela, same word. So now you've got, you've got this hole, and then you've got something taken out of his side. The word tzela in the Hebrew, some translations rib, but we know it's not just rib because man said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So it wasn't just a rib. It was part of him was taken. Okay? And then, and then you wonder, what is Tzela? What could it mean? Is it a rib? Um, and actually, we don't know, to be honest. Anyone who says they know, we don't really know. We do know that something was taken out of man. And um, it, wasn't, it, it, it was more than just physical. Um, because the Bible tells us, let me just see where I am, uh, a part of Adam was taken. And so what we see is when God made Adam and Eve, he opened up man, took something out of man, put it in a woman, and then built something entirely new out of what he'd taken out of man. Okay? And then God said, it is good. Then God said, it is complete. And Adam also said, okay, this is it. I looked around, but now I'm, I'm complete now. And so the Bible tells us that either, we, we don't know what that word means. Interestingly, a side chamber or side room, which is how we see it in 1 Kings. Just a thought. What is a womb? A womb is a chamber. Is it, could it be? the thought. Could it be that God opened Adam and took out from him, not just a rib, but flesh too, womb, and put that into her, so that Adam, now, there's a part of him that is in her. Or, because we don't know what it is, or Adam by himself, even though God took part of Adam and made something entirely new out of Eve, Adam in himself didn't reflect God properly as a man. And so God had to create someone or something else that together they would look and be like God. So in Genesis 1.27, we read this. So God created man. That word man, most translations say mankind. Because it's not man. It's not Adam. It's, it's, it, the word is, is, is humans. God made male and female in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see the, the, the languages. So in the image of God, male and female. So come stand with me. This is, my, this is my better half. I don't reflect God fully. I reflect a part of him. She doesn't reflect God fully. She reflects a part of him. But when we come together, we become one new person. And if you want to know what God is like, You've got to look at us. She reflects something I can't. And I reflect something that she can't. We're made in his image. And together, 
we reflect him. Individually, we don't. Thank you. Does that make sense? So the Bible tells us this in, in Genesis 2.24. We read that the two become, father will leave his mother and father, and the two will become one flesh. Could you put that up in Genesis 2.24? I don't know if you got that one. Bible says the two become one flesh. That means actually her and I are distinct, but we actually also not indistinct. We actually become one new person. It's somehow we are joined together in a way that reflects God. And we two, but we one. God is three, but he is one. Okay. Obviously, when I come to God, who's one, we become three. <laughs> Got it. We become perfectly whole, perfectly what he is. And he wants us to we'll be seated with him one day in heavenly places. He will be called sons and daughters of the living God. Jesus is called our brother. God has adopted us into his family so that we will be like him. We don't deserve it, but God is kind and gracious and wants to include us in his own love, in the, within the, the nature of the Trinity. Okay. In 1 Corinthians 6.16... The Bible tells us you've got to keep this sexual thing holy because when we come together in sexual union, it is actually a reflection of God. The two literally become one. And so here we see, don't sleep with a prostitute. Don't sleep with a woman who's not your wife. New Testament. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute or any other woman for that matter is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. In other words, when you have sex with a person, something happens. You get joined with them in a way that we don't fully understand. And actually, you become one with that person. Now, if you've slept around, do you realize what that means? Do you realize that now I'm, I'm divided and torn? Because I've given part of myself to this person, to this person, to this person. Do you know that Satanists, when they want to grow their strength as a coven, which is a little church, a little community, what they do is they have sexual intercourse orgies amongst them because they know as they have sex, they literally can share out their demons. The stronger demons now have access into the people, that, and so they can actually all become stronger because what I've got becomes given to you and we join together. My issues become your issues. Your issues become my issues when we become one. So be wise are you married and keep yourself keep yourself does this make sense but sex actually then is, a, is us joining together to again become a, an expression within marriage of the glory of God we are truly one how many of you found except for those of you married you feel closer for those of you who aren't you may never experience sex but you will one day experience what it is. All the moms are like, shut your ears. You'll one day experience the perfect, and I'm not talking with God, but there is a sense that you'll be truly one with Him on that last day. We'll be made like Him in His image and in His likeness, and we'll be with Him forever. So this is an earthly reflection of what it is to belong to Jesus. 
So here's the thing. That tells me then, if coming back to women and men, the two become one and she reflects a part of God, that she is a reflection of the image of God as much as I am, but in a different way. I mean, just stand next to me again, babes. In a different way. I mean, generally, this is the rule. Generally, not always, but 99.9% of the time, the guy is larger. The guy is normally stronger. In an arm wrestle, who's going to win? <laughs> but, but, but she also reflects God. Because I'm stronger, doesn't, remember, God is humble and gentle and meek. <laughs> and he is strong and powerful. So I reflect parts of him, and she reflects parts of him. Let's look at some things that she reflects. Thanks, babe. You can sit down. What do women reflect of God? And this is every woman. This is, and it's generally, I'm generalizing, but this is normally the case within males and females. Generally, women, a word actually for women is, I'll make a help me, to help her. Generally, women are very supportive, even within their own friendships. How many of you, when a lady goes through a crisis, and she's with her friends, you just, you, you, everyone's supportive, everyone's behind her, everyone is like, oh, we feel your pain, and we're with you, and, and they're loving and supporting and hugging each other. I remember guys are just not like that generally. I remember a few years ago, I was on the Isle of Man, and I had very bad flu, and um, I was taking a lot of medication, and we were on these little, what are these, segways. And typically as guys, I was sick, I should have been in bed, but I just, we, I, I wanted to be with the guys. So I'm out there, sick, 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 and we started racing on these little segways, off-road segways. And so we're racing, 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 and at some point, my medication and my excitement got the better of me. And for the first time in my life, I fainted. So I'm on the segue, and the next minute, everything goes black, and I fall. Boah, I'm on the ground with men. If that happened with women, what would happen? If you were, one of you fell, the woman would be, oh, are you all right? Oh, and they'd be, this is what happened with me. Everyone pulled out their cell phones. <laughs> And there was just no support. There was like literally like no one. It was just <laughs> Women all like, women are naturally more supportive than men. And in that, they reflect something of God. That's, that makes it quite challenging. As I, and I have to just break into marriage. Man, do you know how hard it is to be married to a woman sometimes? Because remember, women are the supportive ones. They, they'll listen for six hours to a story of it from every angle and detail. And, and a woman will just listen. She's just there to be their support. So have you ever noticed in your marriage, sometimes I'll come home and MC's had some thing that happened that she wants to share with me. So this is how it normally looks like with us. I'll sit down, she's like, oh, babe, I had this horrible day. And I'll sit down, what happened, babes? And I'm expecting she's going to kind of tell me in like 20 seconds. And, um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll find our way out of this and move on. So she'll start telling the story. And she's into detail and it's going on and on. And, and the more she's talking, the more I'm thinking, okay, this is this is getting quite heavy. I'm feeling tied up. With, I, I'm, I'm not enjoying this. This is making, and then I want to get out of this place. So I'm trying to tell her, babes, you should have done this. Oh, don't do that. And, and she's just like, don't tell me what to do. Just listen. And I'm like, I'm like, I, if I just listen, I, I get overwhelmed. I want to get out of this place. I'm a man, and a man wants to find a solution. I want to get us out of, you just wanted me to support you. And I've had to learn sometimes just to sit and go, Wow, baby, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> be 
because she also just doesn't understand that I can't support her. Do you, you know what I'm saying? And the guys are like, okay, can we get out of this place? And just, we need to do this. And she's like, no, just listen. And it's, it, it's, it's tied into our nature. It's tied into, I want to find a solution. She wants support. I've had to learn to show support. Women are more sensitive than men. They are. Generally, women will cry before men do. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing because God is sensitive. God cries over Israel. I, often in elders' meetings, the men will have these conversations. This is why we have our women with us, our wives with us in elders' meetings. We'll have a conversation about a situation. And the men think they all got it right. And then the ladies pop up. And there's a sensitivity and a nuance that they bring to the situation that we just don't get as men sometimes. Women are often more emotional. They are more expressive. Have you ever visited a bachelor's home? It's just survival, basically. It's like, you know... Bachelor's home, there's nothing beautiful about it. It's normally a bit of a mess, and it's just very sort of functional. You, is it, yeah, there's a good TV or a good PlayStation. That's it. You go visit a bachelorette's home. It's beautiful. It's painted. The, the, the sheets match with the bedspread. The pillows on the couch. There's just detail that men just don't have. And this actually reflects God actually reflects God. Submission. I think it's easier often for ladies because by nature, you, although that's being attacked now, but actually isn't, it's easy to submit. There's beauty. I think the one thing that's different in humans to the animal world, in the animal world, the males are the beautiful ones. But, you know, birds, the males are the beautiful. But in humanity, I think women are the beautiful ones. Gentleness. Mothering is one of the things that women do. And let's look into this. Now I'm going to dig into moms. Remember this. To some degree as a woman, if you never have children of your own, you have spiritual children sitting around you. What do we learn about God through not just women now, but from moms? In Isaiah 66 verse 13, God starts to try to reveal to Israel what he's like. And he's trying to tell his people how he is. And he, he says to them, they're going through a difficult time. He says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. Did you notice he didn't say as a father comforts a child? He says as a mother. The definition from God of what comforting and care is female. So will I comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. God comfort. So that, 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 that looked like this for you and me growing up. Who rode a bicycle or a skateboard down the road, hit the corner too fast, a bit of gravel, you hit the deck hard, you felt the blood, elbow scrape, knee scrape. When you jumped up, did you shout, what? Mom! And you ran to mom, and mom would just sit there, boy, oh, and she would hold you and comfort you. Dad does this. Oh, it's not that bad, man. Get up and do it again, yo, come on. Get on the horse. Mom's just like, no, honey, no, just, just, just comfort. And in fact, she reflects God in this. God says, God says this, actually, I comfort. And the word in the, in the Hebrew is, is actually to hold you until the situation changes. Sometimes God comes and he holds us, just holds us until the situation changes. 
And we learn about him from that. We learn about God from moms. That actually, when we fall, he's not just the God who says, well, I'm a male only and get up. Actually, she reflects comfort. I'm the God who comforts like a woman comforts. She reflects me as she does that. Another thing is women care and love us. And moms do do it differently. I remember it was so weird when our daughter came. I mean, it was awesome to hold my daughter, and I love my little girl. But I remember MC would look at this little thing and go, you were in my body. Like, I just don't even, okay, like, I, I can't do that. I don't get that. I'd be a bit freaked out if she was in my body. But for you, it was a beautiful thing. You, like, she's a part of you in a way that she's not of me. And everything about a mom is to hold and to nurture. They soft and smell nice. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 to 8, listen to this. Paul's writing to the church, and he's, he's again defining, the, he gives the definition of care, and then he says, I was like that. Again, as a man, he was trying to be that. But actually, he tells us, like a mother caring, we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. He, the definition here of love and care is mom. Mom, not dad, mom. She reflects God in this. I heard an amazing story. We, recently, I, I think most of you saw in Texas, there was this shooting at a school. I think there were 22 people that were killed. But I heard in August the 3rd, 2019, Saturday morning, uh, there was a similar shooting in a place in El Paso, which is uh, also in Texas, I think. And uh, there's a shopping mall there called Walmart. It's like this killer big shop. I've been in a few of them. And uh, 20 people were killed. A guy came in with an automatic weapon and killed 20 people. One of the families that died was actually a mom and a dad, uh, Andre and Jordan and Kondo. And uh, they had just dropped their eldest daughter at band pra at um, cheerleading practice. And they had a, a two-month-old baby boy and went to go and buy some school things for their elder daughter. And while they were in Walmart, this guy came in, started shooting people, and both the parents were killed. So it was quite interesting when they found the mom they didn't know that there was a little child in her arms because she had literally put herself between the machine gun and her child and was riddled with bullets and fell on her child trying to protect him. And in this, you start to see what a mother will do for a child. And then God says this in Isaiah 49, verse 15, to 16, says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child? She is born. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. I'll never forget you. Here's the thing. God says, you know what a mom's like? Have you just heard about a mom? He says, when she gets to the point that she can't anymore, I'm still there. I'm still going to be the one who will love and protect you. Love and care for you. Even when she loses compassion on you, I'm still going to have compassion upon you. In other words, for us, the definition here is mom. And then God says, she still falls short. You want to know what I'm like. But the amazing thing is when you look at him, then that means, how much does he love us? How much does God love us? That even when a mother says, I can't anymore, God says, I still can, and I still will. And I love how he ends this. This is written in about 790 years before the north, before Jesus was born. 
So this is by a prophet in the Old Testament, and it's a prophecy about Jesus. He, he tells us how he's going to show the love that he has for us. He says, see, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Jesus would come and be crucified, and they would nail him through his hands. Do you know that the only scar in heaven are the scars on his body? Your scars will disappear when you get your resurrected, glorified body. But forever, he's engraved us on his hands. Jesus came and died on the cross. You, you heard of a mom giving her life to save her little one? God comes and he gives his life. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Why did Jesus die? Why did he take bullets? He took bullets that we deserved. We were rebellious and hated him and despised him and created a world that we didn't want him in. We lived for ourselves instead of him. We were totally self-centered and selfish. And even where a mother should have said from his holiness, a mother should have looked at all of us, even the best of us, and said, it's disgusting what you've become. He actually says this, your good works, in other words, the best parts of you, are like, and he uses the word in, in the Greek, menstrual cloth. Menstrual cloth is when a woman in those days would have her period, she would bleed on a cloth, and that cloth was unclean. And he says, your best works, the good parts of you, because I'm holy. You see, I'm perfectly holy, 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 holy. I'm perfectly right and good. When I look at you, your good works are like that. To God, there's nothing in us that we sh he should love us. And even when from his perspective, as a holy mother, should have looked at us and despised us. God loved us and took the bullet that was ours giving his life on the cross and engraved us forever into his hands that forever when you go to heaven jesus in his resurrected body said to thomas see my touch put your hands in the holes put your hands in my side god has engraved us into his body forever as a reminder of his great love for us another thing moms use they raise and train us in ezekiel 19 verse 2 and i'm coming to a land God's talking about, and he uses a, a what is the word, a, when you use a figure of speech, using an animal to, def anyway. God, and so what a lioness was your mother among the lions. She lay down among the young lions, and she reared her cubs. Moms actually, one of their callings is when they become moms, is they're called to rear their cubs. They're called to bring up their little ones, to train them and shape them. The word it speaks of constructing them. In other words, everything you do as a mom forms and shapes and fashions a child differently to how a dad does. There's certain things that moms do that dads won't do. Uh, and, they, and that literally means to construct or to make whole. But then God comes and he says this to us who are believers in Isaiah 54 verse 13. All your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be your children's peace. God says this, like a mom raised you up as a child. So I will come and I'll raise you up. And I'll teach you what I'm like. I'll teach you how to truly live. I will do what a mother would do. And I'll take my time in constructing your life. Most of us come to him messed up and broken. In fact, we all do. And God comes to heal and fix. Moms are a sacred thing. The Bible says that we should honor them and our fathers. Because then it'll go well with us in the land. In fact, there's a promise that if we honor them, we'll have a, a good long life. But you see, the thing is this. 
I've looked at moms, and I know some here maybe will never be moms in the physical. But in the church, you come into the family of God. And as a woman, you have a role to play within the community of faith, whether you have children of your own or not. And your responsibility is no longer just for your children, because you're called to become a mother in God's house. And so in 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 to 2, it says this. Verse 2. Older women, treat older women, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Moms, you're called to reflect God, not just to your kids, but to this community. You see, people are going to come into the house not having good moms, not having good dads. They're going to look at you and come into this new thing. I'm born again into the family of God. You know, I didn't know about a mom that was great. I didn't know about a dad that was great. Maybe my mom was on drugs or maybe she would messed up her life. And I've come into this thing with a twisted understanding of God. But older women become like moms to believers. I'll never forget as a young Christian, born again. And there were two ladies that I can distinctly say, fashioned and formed my life. One of them was a lady called Eleanor. And we just used to hang at her home. She was free food always. I was young. I was 19 years old. I'd just given my life to Jesus. Her home, there was just always young guys and girls in her home. And I remember sitting with her, and she made us what she said. I learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She prayed with me. I learned to speak in tongues through her. She loved me like I was one of her own. There's another one you'll see on Facebook today still, Marilyn Barnard. Years later in another church. She's like a mom to me. Still today, you'll see if I post something, she's on there. Andrew, it's so good what you're saying. She's a mom to me. Moms are called to not just look after their own children, but they're called to look after God's children. You have a calling, and I would say to you as a mom, especially to the moms, you know, if you knew that your child was going to come, would you come early in the hope that they would be there? Would you wait for them with your heart? Even though you're talking to others, would you be looking at the door waiting for them to come? When they come, would you just ignore them, like sit in your chair and leave as the meeting finishes? Or would you, somewhere in the meeting, take the time to go across and to love them, to affirm them? Would you? <laughs> you see, church is not a place that you can just come and arrive late and leave early. Church is a place where you have a role to play. Called to be a mom. Called to be a sister. Called to be a brother. Called to be a father. You're called to reflect to the family of God what it is. And, and it, as you do that, you bring glory to God. Because the children learn, is that what he's like? Is that what he's like? I felt loved and affirmed and valued and trained. So I want to say to the ladies, you're made differently from us. Don't confuse that. You have a different role in creation. Your role is no less than ours. It's just different. But I feel like God would say to you, would you be women? Would you be moms? Would you be what I made you because I formed you in your mother's womb? I decided that you would be this. For your time on the earth. I think in heaven, I don't think we are male and female. But on this earth, you're called to reflect what God is like.
as well, man. Do it well, man. Do it well. Don't let anyone try and make you a man. Because you're not. You're distinct and beautiful and made in the image of God. And as you do woman things, you reflect His glory. As you make your house beautiful, you reflect His glory. As you love the little ones, you reflect His glory. As you humble and submit yourself, you reflect His glory. The world needs to see what it is to be a woman because it's so confused. And you're the light of the world. Let your light shine. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads? I you know every time the church gathers, there might be people that come and they, they come from the world. They come from outside of the church, outside of the ways of God and the understanding of what God is like. But you see, God, the Bible tells us, loves the world. We read how even if your mother forgets you, she loses compassion. God says, I still will have compassion upon you. The Bible tells us that we have done things as humans which have caused us to fall short of the glory of God. We've rebelled. We've lived our way. We've lived selfishly. We've kind of done that whole thing in Genesis. I will be like God. I'll define good and evil. I'll have my own eyes opened. And in it, we've driven God out of our world and out of our lives. And God looks at us and he says the penalty of rejecting the one who is life is death. You've chosen death. You've chosen to try and find your life, but you're actually going to lose yourself in the mess that you create. But God, the Bible goes on to say, but God so loved the world in John 3.16. God so loved you that he came and he engraved you. We read that earlier on his hands. He took the bullets for your sin and your rebellion, for your arrogance so that by believing, he could embrace you and adopt you into his family. So that you would no longer live the way you did, but that you would start to learn about his ways, the holy God. Become part of his family and reflect what holiness is as you learn about him and grow to love him. If you had a day and you've never had a moment where you've been adopted into that family of God. You've never, the Bible says you've got to be born again. It's like a birth experience. You can go to church your whole life, but if you're not born again, you're not in the family. You're just a visitor that eats meals with the family. But if you're born again, you're born of imperishable seed. And God says, I'll bring you into myself, into the community of faith. And I'll show you what I'm like. And I'll teach you how to live for something bigger than yourself. For me and for my kingdom. There's someone here today you've never, ever done that. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you respond to the Lord and say, God, I feel like I came this morning to hear this message. And I feel like I needed to hear it. And I want to respond. I want to be adopted into your family. I want to stop living for myself and start living for you. Is there someone today, just lift your hand up high. Say, yeah, that's me. I want to come into the family of God. I want my sins forgiven. Anyone today. Always want to give opportunity. Because I know that God as a father loves. And as a mother, <laughs> he nails you into his hands. Anyone. All right. And I want to finish this with a prayer. 
Lord, we've looked at men and women. We've looked at you. And Lord, we want to, you say in the Bible that the whole world will be led astray to some degree by this number of the man, the 666. That our thinking and our actions be corrupted by humanity and we'll fall short of the glory of God. We want to thank you for dying on a cross for us. That even when a mother might lose compassion for us, you still remain. And that you do want to hold us until the situation changes. You do want to shape and mold us so that we can grow up to be like you. <sighs> I want to glorify you, God. <sighs> I'd love to just close this with a prayer for the moms and the ladies. It's such an attack upon you. Such an attack upon who you are and what you're called to be. In some way, Satan has devalued you and has twisted the, the understanding of what's truly precious in God's house. And the world has crept in and said you're less or you're not valued or you need to be like him, like a man. But the Bible says where there is selfish ambition and envy, there you find every disorder and every evil practice. I feel like God wants to just seal us in what it is to be male and female. And if you this morning just here and you're saying, God, I feel like you've spoken to my heart in some areas. But what it is to be male, what it is to be female, what it is to be a mom. I feel like maybe I've been coming to the church. I didn't know that I was supposed to be a mom to others. But maybe as you be here today, you realize that there's something that the Lord is speaking to you about by His Spirit through the teaching of the Word. And you're saying, Lord, I want that to be in me. I want to respond to you. And if that is you, I want to ask you, would you stand with me? Because I'd love to pray with you. Just stand right now if that's you. Just saying, God, I feel like I feel like I want to grow to reflect you better in these areas. Let's stand if that's you. It should be most of you. It should be all of you, actually. <laughs> because we're all still fumbling along in our efforts to know God and to reflect Him. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And Lord, we are not that. We're not that yet. We know that when you return to the earth, in a moment, at your command, we'll be made completely like you. But for now, we're still growing, being shaped and molded to reflect you, God, to know you and to reflect you. Father, I want to pray for every single man, every woman, and every child. I pray that you would root them in what it is to be what you've made them to be. That through them, you would reveal the glory of God to their children, to their friends, to those at work, to those within the faith community. That you would take each one as a reflection of the image of God and cause them to shine forth your praise. That as they love and as they care and as they serve, as they lay down their lives, as they submit, as they yield, as they do beautiful things, that they would reflect you well, God. I pray for those that are here that have got a broken image of who you are. 
Heal it, Lord. Heal it, Lord. Heal it so that we would know you and that we would know the hope to which you've called us, our glorious inheritance that's found in the saints. Make us beautiful, God, as your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Coffee at the back. What do you want to do? Uh, just didn't want that to end. Um, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, MC. Um, yeah.